The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today, we continue looking at the response of Elihu. You may remember that Elihu was the youngest of Job's four friends, and he had refrained from speaking until now because he felt like he ought to defer to the older ones. Elihu clearly had the right idea, and he had some good thoughts in his response. He's going to focus on God's mercy and tell Job that sometimes suffering keeps us from sinning. There's some truth to that. God sometimes allows suffering to come upon us as a corrective tool, but again, Elihu misses the boat, as do all of Job's miserable comforters. Join us today as we continue looking at Elihu and his response, and ultimately we'll find that God comes on the scene and sets them all right. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Let's go back to uh, the book of Job tonight, the 33rd chapter. You may recall that we're at the point where we're talking about Elihu. And Elihu is a new character. He's someone who we haven't heard of, heard from before. We've heard from Job. We've heard from Job's three miserable comforter friends. And now Elihu is on the scene. And Elihu is responding to all the three friends, what all the three friends had said. And he's responding to what Job had said. And his response is interesting. And some, I've heard some preach this as if Elihu got it just right. I don't believe Elihu got it just right, but in some ways he did get it a little more right than the others. You know, and that, maybe that sounds a little bit like like us, maybe, because I hadn't, I hadn't discovered yet that Brother Buddy or me or anybody else has got it all right. <laughs> we all have got more to learn and, and more to uh, study. But now, the problem that I first see with Elihu is that he thinks he's got it all right. And I've also seen many people like that. And I'm not talking about Brother Buddy, and I hope I'm not talking about me or any there are other preachers around here, but, uh, but I'll tell you, there are those that think they've got all the answers. When we get to the end of this chapter, we're going to learn that the only one who had all the answers is the one who begins speaking in chapter 38, and that's God himself. And in fact, it's interesting that the way God um, displayed that he had all the answers is by asking all the questions. <laughs> He asked all the questions that nobody else had the answer to. Everybody thought they had the answers, but they couldn't answer him at all. But in chapter 32, we began to see Elihu, and basically that's Elihu's response is, hey, I've waited because I'm younger than you are, and, and now you need to listen to me because I have all the answers. He had zeal. I, I, I admire him for his zeal, but... Sometimes you can get a little overzealous, and that's where he was. And we talked about that last time, and, and I just want to reiterate one last thing about the introduction to Elihu that I mentioned at the end of last service, and that's this. After all this long speech, and Elihu's speech is the longest continuous speech of anyone in the book of Job. After all this long speech, his passion and zeal when God comes on the scene in chapter 38, he completely ignores everything he said. <laughs> he doesn't even address it. Isn't that amazing? You know, uh, I think that it's perhaps evidence that his mandate from God wasn't so clear after all. Because see, Elihu had said, you need to listen to me because God's speaking through me. So tonight I want us to start talking about what he's saying. So what is Elihu saying? And, and let me just preface it with this. He has a, a concept of theology. He has a concept of God. And theology is just, it's just the science of God. Theologia in Greek is the science of God, if you will. And, and it's something that we ought to engage in daily. We ought to engage in the science of God, the study of God, knowledge of God. But understand that what it really is, is our attempt to know the great unknowable. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, God is not 
knowable by us in the sense of finding out all about him, okay? Now, now he's knowable in that he's made himself revealed unto us in many ways, and it's through his word here that he's done that. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, which all this book is pointing us to, it's either pointing us forward to Christ or it's pointing us back to Christ. In fact, that's one of the reasons Christ was called the Word, the capital W, Word. In the beginning was the Word. That's the Greek word logos. And logos in that day, there was a great, Philo was a, a Greek philosopher who lived about 100 to 150 years before Christ. And he had, he had started coming up with this, uh, using this word to denote the great force of the universe. He, you know, he called it God in some ways, but he, he was more like the impersonal force of Star Wars. You know, <laughs> may the force be, may the logos be with you. You know, it's the kind of thing he would say. There's some force out there guiding everything. Well, Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he was the living word of God, the living Logos. He was the living force, if you will, and showed us that he's not just some impersonal being. He is a personal God. He is a person himself. He was God in person, and he's a personal God. And so what we're doing here and what we're seeing here actually is so amazing and interesting to me because the whole book of Job is really the first account of man's attempt to understand God and to know God. And, and we learn some great lessons here that, number one, man alone can't know God. But God reveals himself to us in many ways. So Elihu is about to try to explain to everybody who God is. He's essentially trying to explain the unexplainable because he thinks he knows the unknowable. <laughs> so, okay, let's look in chapter 33. Notice what he starts off with here. Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. You see a little bit of his zeal and his pride coming out here. Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue is spoken in my mouth. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Little, little... A uh, little brassy here, isn't he? A little, little brashness coming out. I, you listen to me. I'm talking now. <laughs> the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me. Stand up. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. You remember Job had said, oh, if God would just appear to me. If he'd just show up, I'd like to present my complaint to him. And what Elihu's saying is, God's here through me. <laughs> Boy, that's a little bit prideful, I would say. I also am formed out of the clay. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Now, I see here, we see the brashness of Elihu, but we also see a little bit of his desire to... You know, I can't fault him for his desire to try to help Job. I, I do think ultimately his goal is to try to help Job and these friends to understand God better. Now, notice as we start looking in verses 8 here down through about verse 11, he starts telling Job or retelling Job what he's already said. In other words, he's taking Job's words and turning them back against him and accusing him of self-righteousness. Notice he said, Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, 
And I have heard the voice of thy word saying, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he, speaking of God, findeth occasions against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. Now you can go back and look, back in chapter 13 and others. Job is actually accusing God of this. And you know, we said all along that one of Job's problems is he, he thinks God is doing all these, these things to him that are happening to him. And you know, that's part of the problem in the world today. I've said this so many times. God gets accused of so many things he's not doing. Every time some tragedy hits, every time some sickness occurs, oh, God's doing it. Why would God do this to me? Why did he send this to me? Well, the truth of the matter is a lot of these things are just the result of living in a sin-cursed world. Now, we're fixing to see something else here that's important, and it has to do with God suffering these things to come upon us. But so I'm not trying to, you know, sometimes I want to make, I feel like I don't make it clear enough. And I want to make it clear that the providence of God is real and it's working in our lives. And the sufferings that we endure don't come upon us taking God by surprise. Okay. And, and Elihu is about to get to something here that's important. And it's a concept we're going to probably sort of take a detour on and talk about tonight and that has to do with the fact that the sufferings of life are often allowed or permitted I like the word suffered better than anything else because that's what the King James Version uses but the things that the trials of life are often suffered to come upon us by God for the purpose of guiding us back to him and and peeling away some of the some of the dross and some of the uh, the hay, wood, and stubble, you know, and trying us as silver and gold is tried. But notice what he's saying. He's saying, here's what you're saying, Job. You're accusing God of doing all this, and, and you're really accusing him of being mean to you. And notice in verse 12, he said, Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Now, this is a good statement here, and it's important for us to remember, too. He's just basically saying, Job, you need to remember that you're Job and not God. <laughs> God is greater than you. Uh, you're not God, Job, and you need to remember that. And by the way, that's something we all need to remember in life. Most of the time, when I struggle in life, it's because I've forgotten that he is God and I'm not. You know, oftentimes I, I think I'm God. I think I, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the biggest idol in my own life. I'm the biggest idol myself. What I want, how I think it ought to be done. Why I think I'm right, you know. I mean, I don't know anybody in this room that doesn't think they're right. I mean, why would you do something that you know is wrong? But, you know, I've learned in life that I'm not always right. I'm not always right. Sometimes I'm wrong and but my problem is me, myself, and I. That's that unholy trinity uh, that, that always gets me. <laughs> so, so, Job, remember that you're not God. Now, let's, let's finish reading about Job and God. He says, Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In other words, you're not God, Job, and God doesn't answer to you. God doesn't answer to you. And when he speaks, you're apparently missing the point. You're missing it, okay? And now Elihu begins to introduce a concept about God that all the others have basically missed. And that is that sometimes suffering 
is allowed upon us for some constructive or corrective purpose, okay? Now remember, I'm not talking about some Romans 8.28 concept about how God's using sin and, you know, stirring up wickedness and iniquity and working it all together. Our God is an overruling God. He's not a God that gets down and dirties himself, dirties his hands with sin. But he's an overruling God. And in this case, we know exactly what happened. The devil came and said, I want Job. God said, you can have him to this point. It wasn't God afflicting him, but it was God removing the hedge to a certain extent. Now, why did God do that? Okay, why would God suffer things to come upon us that hurt, that we struggle with, that we uh, have problems with, and that cause us pain? Why would God do that? Well, I don't have all the answers. Let me just say that up front. But the Bible does give us some answers to that. And one of them is found over in Psalm 119 and verse 71. If you want to turn there just for a minute. Psalm 119 is the great psalm about the Word of God. It's where the Word of God praises the Word of God. And there's so much rich truth in here. But I want you to notice in Psalm 119... And let's just begin reading in verse 65. This is a division of, if you recall, in the, in the 119th Psalm, there's about, there'll be about seven or eight verses and then a, then a break. And this is in the original. And it, it starts out with the, the it, goes, it goes according to the Hebrew alphabet. The first division, verses one through eight, are, are entitled Aleph. And that's the first letter, that's the equivalent of A in our, in our alphabet. The next eight verses are bet, B-E-T-H, which is the Hebrew word, a Hebrew letter for, that we would call B. And it goes on to Gimel and Dalit and Hay, Vav, and so forth. And over here, we're at, we're at a division, Tet. And by the way, if you go back to the Hebrew, each one of those sections starts with that letter. That's interesting, you know, like the first section starts with that Aleph, then chapter, uh, verse 9, uh, the first word starts with the, the bet there. But anyway, notice what he says in this division. He said, Thou hast dealt well with thy, with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. That's a principle that Job would have done well to keep in mind and that we need to remember too. Whatever God's dealing with us is, he is dealing well with us. And he's dealing with us according to his word. You know, don't let anybody come up and fool you and say, I've gotten new revelation from God. God's dealing with me. He's given me a vision. And I, hey, if the vision matches up with the Word of God, praise God. It may be okay. <laughs> but the Word of God is what counts. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Now look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. I heard something on Grace Alone Radio the other day, I believe it was Brother Sam Bryant preaching, about Brother Obey, who was the first African Primitive Baptist preacher that we had. He, several years ago, he came to um, Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church when he was a student at UAB. He was from Tanzania and just showed up there by the providence of God and ultimately was ordained there. He unfortunately sadly passed away uh, five or ten years ago from sickness they, they don't the life expectancy in 
Tanzania is, um, is not very high. I think he was about 40 years old. And, um, but Brother Obey, I believe it was, it could have been Brother Martin who, who will be here next week, but one of, the, one of the two of them told Brother Sam that Americans are persecuted by prosperity. We are persecuted by prosperity. Think about that. Have you, have you ever, I've never heard it put quite like that. But that's where we are today. We are persecuted by prosperity. Because you see, it's harder for me to maintain my Christian walk when, I'm, when everything's going good. When, it, when I'm just feeling good and there's no problems in my life, that's the time I just want to kind of check out, put it in spiritual neutral, and just let things ride, you know? But when I experience affliction, when I'm going through the fire, when I'm going through the trials of life, my reaction then is that I flee to God and I flee to his word and I, I feel a closeness with God that I don't feel when I'm high on the mountaintop and just enjoying the sunshine. It's when I'm in the valley that I'm struggling, when, when we have problems in our lives, you see. And that's kind of what David is saying here. He's saying that, uh, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. When I was being persecuted by prosperity, I was going astray. I was struggling. You know, he didn't get in trouble uh, with that problem with Bathsheba that he had on the battlefield. He didn't get in trouble when he was in the thick of battle and the, and the battle was in doubt and he was having to flee to God. He didn't get in trouble with Bathsheba when he was standing on the, on the ground out there with just a sling and five smooth stones facing a giant. He was fine then. He was close to God. But when he was afflicted, before he, before he was afflicted, that's when he went astray. What was he doing? He was walking on the rooftop of his palace there when he should have been in the field with his, with his fighting men. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. Skip down just to, for lack of time, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. As I told you, I, I struggle sometimes when everything's going well, when I've got all my ducks in a row and everything seems to be good. I struggle to maintain my diligence to read his word. Oh, but when the trouble hits, when I'm having health problems, when someone in my family is having health problems, when I'm struggling at work or in whatever I'm doing, maybe there's church issues or whatever, that's when I flee to the word. And you know, when I'm afflicted, you know what happens? I learn more about God then than I did when I was, <laughs> I was in, in good, good times, you see. And so here's, here's one thing that this psalmist wrote, that it's good for me to be afflicted. Turn over to James chapter 1. The first thing we want to see is this. In chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Okay? Now, the first thing we need to remember here, he didn't say it will be joy. There's not, I don't, I'm not joy, I'm not having joy when I'm hurting, you know. I'm not having joy when I'm in the midst of the trials of life. But that word there, it doesn't say you're going to feel joy, but it says you can count it joy. That's an accounting term. That that's means you take a ledger and you have on one hand, say, on this 
the columns of this ledger, you have grief. And on the other side of the column, the other column of the ledger, you have joy. You can take the trials of life and the temptations, the diverse temptations, you can put them in the joy category. You know, Lord, it, don't feel, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like joy, but I'm going to count it joy because you see, that's what, that's what happened with him. Back, you remember back in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse, verse 2, he says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I, sometimes people act like we ought to be just laughing and happy while we're enduring, while we're dealing with the cross. But Jesus wasn't laughing. And, you know, I see some of these preachers on TV. They're, they're, they're getting all brave and with a whole lot of bravado. They're, they're just like spitting in the face of the devil and all this kind of stuff. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus never was brash or prideful or anything. And he heard on the cross. He, he suffered on the cross. It was not joy for him on the cross, but it was the joy that was set before him that allowed him to be able to endure the cross. And it ought to be the joy that's set before us that allows us to endure the temptations and trials of life. If everything were rosy and everything were good, then we'd never know what it meant to be blessed by God, would we? <laughs> Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.